Welcome back to another episode of It's the Flat Out Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Bravo Cologne. I hope everyone has had an awesome week. And for those who are going through it, hang in there. Your reward is coming. Last week, we touched on the topic of being intentional and how it played a part in the spiritual side of our lives. Might I say that that episode had a huge impact on me. Sharing part of my life really isn't all that easy for me. And I'm pretty sure it's not easy for you either. But I want to be honest and clear and let you know that I will not hide behind a cloak of piety. For we all have sinned and have all fallen short of the glory of God. But I must, I must reiterate that we in no way, shape or form, are trying to change anyone's belief. We do not claim to possess the truth, but we do know the one who does. Blessed be he. What we want to do is for you to question everything. Now we can agree to disagree, shake hands, and learn from one another. This week, we are going to entertain the question, is the earth flat? You can read the transcripts to our podcast on it's the flatouttruth.wordpress.com or you can click our link tree and find all the links to our podcast as well. You know, there is a lot of controversy behind this belief, especially from the Bible believing Christians, the Jews, and even the Messianic Jews. In one breath, believers claim not to believe in evolution but they will argue with you until they're blue in the face that the earth rotates around the sun. I know, because I used to be one of them. Yes, I too was unaware of the indoctrination. I believed what I was programmed to believe from a very young age. Joseph Goebbels, the Nazi propagandist, has been quoted saying the phrase, A lie told once remains a lie. But a lie told a thousand times becomes the truth. Hence my point. From birth, they hammer this heliocentric theory into your brain, into your very being. You are programmed to believe that the earth is a ball, spinning at a thousand miles per hour, revolving around a ball of fire that exists over 93 million miles away, and that the moon is 230,000 miles away, hurling through an infinite vastness called space, which began with the Big Bang many billions of years ago, and that we all evolved from a single-celled amoeba. Hmm... That's a pretty interesting theory. If I didn't believe the Bible to be the infallible word of God, then maybe I would have continued to believe this. 
But when you read the creation account in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 20, as I did, but this time I read it slowly. And my first question was, if God made the light on the first day and the sun, moon, and the stars on the fourth day, what? Wait a minute. Wait. Wait a minute. Light is made on the first day, the firmament on the second day, the seas, the earth, and vegetation on the third day, and the sun, the moon, and the stars on the fourth day makes a lot of sense now that we can see it in plain light. Let's read Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 20, King Jimmy version. For all you diehard King Jimmy fans. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament, from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called he seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, an herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself after his kind, and God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day 
and over the night, and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. And God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life and the fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. Now, I just want to make one point here. That in the Hebrew, the first verse of Genesis reads a little different. Because when we have what's called a mem sofit at the end of a word, it declares plurality. So in the original Hebrew, verse 1 reads, Bereshit bara Elohim et hashamayim ve'et ha'aretz. Now the word hashamayim is heavens. So it should read, in the beginning created God the heavens and the earth. But we're going to continue because like I had said before, reading this section of Genesis, that it makes a lot of sense now that we see this in plain light. Not plain sight, but plain light because it's laid out plainly in the light for us to see. So let's break this down. On day one, God created the heavens, the earth, and light. On day two, God created the firmament to divide the waters above and the waters below. You, you with me? Now on day three, he gathered the seas together, brought forth the earth and the vegetation. And day four, the sun, the moon, and the stars, which are our timepiece, or a calendar, in other words. So, reading this section of Genesis, we can see that it goes against the Big Bang Theory. It just contradicts that whole theory that everything created from one big explosion, right? Well, the reason I say that is because the section of Genesis describes in synoptic detail the synchronic process of creation as versed by the recipient of the word being Moses from the very mouth of God. And we can see on this timeline from days one to four that the events take place in a logical order. First, we have a place to create heaven and earth and light to see. Then, on day two, a division to cover the creation, mainly the firmament, which gives room for the waters below to be gathered in one place and be called seas and dry land appear to be called earth along with the vegetation, which will be required to sustain the next phase of creation which are the animals of the earth, the birds of the air, and the creatures of the sea. Now, we know that in science and biology, we were taught that vegetation requires photosynthesis, which is the process by which green plants 
and certain other organisms transform light into chemical energy. And during the photosynthesis process in green plants, light energy is captured and used to convert water, carbon dioxide, and minerals into oxygen and energy-rich organic compounds. We can find that in Britannica.com. When we look at the creation process and we see that the sun, moon, and the stars were created on the fourth day, it, it makes perfect sense, right? I mean, God created the vegetation on the third day, and the vegetation needs light of the sun for the photosynthesis process. So he made the sun, the moon, and the stars on the fourth day. Now, what does the word used for firmament here in Genesis mean in the Hebrew? Let's take a look at that. And Theopedia breaks it down for us. All right. The word for firmament that's used in the Hebrew is the word rakia. And it's translated as firmament expanse, dome, and vault. You can find that on theopedia.com. Okay, and Strong's says it is H7549. It's an extended surface expanse, right? So when you look at this word, rakia, it's pretty interesting to see that the word is found over 17 times in the Old Testament. And the root word for rakia, which is raka, is found another 11 times. Now, when I was taught and studying the Bible, if something is mentioned more than once, then it's safe to say that it's important to pay close attention to what's being said. And for a combination of 28 times, I would say that this is pretty important for us to pay attention to. Don't you think? Well, it was this first chapter of Genesis that prompted me to research a little more. And that's exactly what I began to do. And let me add that on a daily basis, I am able to see things that were once hidden from me due to a lack of of understanding, and I'm able to see them a lot clearer. So I started to read up on Flat Earth and seek out other biblical references on the subject, and to my surprise, I found more than 200 biblical references to a flat stationary enclosed Earth, and I also found a website that cites over 240 plus verses for the geocentric stationary flat earth. And that website is www.flatearthdoctrine.com. So my question to you is, if you believe the Bible to be the inerrant word of God, then how is it possible to believe in a contradictory theory like heliocentrism, which only came to popularity with Nicholas Copernicus a little over 500 years ago? You can find that history at Britannica.com. So 
prior to that, prior to Nicholas Copernicus's theory, everyone believed in a stationary enclosed earth because heliocentricity takes God out of the equation and replaces him with the scientific phenomenon that is yet to be proven and in reality has no basis to stand on. Yet on a daily basis, artifacts are being unearthed, proving the validity of the Bible. Now, let's go back into time and let's take a look at Genesis chapter 11 verses 1 through 9. In this section, we find on the timeline that the construction of the tower in Shinar takes place well after the flood and the descendants of Noah, namely his great-grandson Nimrod, are in rebellion towards God. Let's read Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches into the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. Now here, here we see that everyone spoke one language, so everybody understood each other, which makes a lot of sense. Because when you take a look at the ancient civilization's depiction of the earth as being flat with the cover and the star, sun, and moon inside the firmament, or dome, if you will, these pictures were from ancient civilizations. This is how they viewed the earth as stationary and enclosed. Then why? Why would they want us to believe otherwise? Because if you knew the truth, there would be no way they could imprison your mind and make you believe the lies they are feeding us, and we'd willingly accept it. Now, the pictures, I've seen pictures of the ancient Mayans depiction, the Norse, the Incas, the Navajo, the ancient Hebrews, the Egyptians, and even the Hindus. And let me tell you that there's a lot of similarity. So looking at the pictures, Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9, makes a lot of sense. Because if their language was confused at Babel, and they 
spread over the face of the earth, everyone going with the people that spoke their same language, then they took that understanding that we read in, in the first chapter of Genesis. And everybody had a different, maybe a different view of how it was, but it all relates to each other. So we can, we can actually say that these ideas come from that time and they took it with them and they passed it down from generation to generation, right? All right, so there's a great agenda against man. And this great agenda against man is that Hasatan is seeking to destroy God's creation, which is man, by any means necessary. I know, I know. You're going to say that I'm out of my mind, that that's not the way things are anymore. There have been many Bible scholars that can prove otherwise. And to that, I say, there is a verse in the Bible that says, this is what the Lord says. Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind, who makes his flesh his strength and turns his heart from the Lord. That's found in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 5. Clearly, we are to study and research for our own sake, to seek out the truth, not just any truth, the flat-out truth. Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. As far as I have read in the Bible, I cannot find any mention of planets. We can find the mention of certain constellations, and we find the sun, the moon, and the stars, but no mention of planets. We can find in the book of Enoch that it mentions stars that are being held for judgment in chapter 18, verses 12 to 15. Let's read that. And beyond that abyss, I saw a place which had no firmament of the heaven above and no firmly founded earth beneath there was no water upon it and no birds, but it was a waste and horrible place. I saw there seven stars like great burning mountains. And to me, when I inquired regarding them, the angel said, this place is the end of heaven and earth. This has become a prison for the stars and the host of heaven. And the stars which roll over the fire are they which have transgressed the commandment of the Lord in the beginning of their rising, because they did not come forth at their appointed times. Even here, we see no mention of planets. And then I realized that it says in Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8, I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. So how would we have so-called planets that are named after pagan gods planted in the sky? 
If the word of God is inerrant, then the so-called planets really aren't planets at all. But you say, NASA has pictures of the planets, and I will tell you it's all CGI. I personally have never seen an actual photograph of any of these so-called planets and or galaxies. Remember, the Bible is inerrant, and it cannot lie. There are a number of other resources that have expounded on the flat Earth. There is a book called Zetetic Astronomy, The Earth is Not a Globe by Parallax. It can be purchased on Amazon. And there are other books like Terra Firma by David Warlaw Scott and 100 Proofs that the Earth is Not a Globe, 2017 updated edition by William W. M. Carpenter. Now, I always return to the Bible as the foundation for my belief, just as many flat earth researchers do as well. There's a plethora of resources out there to confirm this belief. Rob Skiba, for one, is an individual who researches the very research that has been researched and has an incredible database of information and facts to confirm the same. You can find him and all of his works at www.robskiba.com. That's R-O-B-S-K-I-B-A dot com. So, is the earth flat? As far as I've seen and have read and have researched, I would dare say yes. Well, not completely flat because we have mountains and we have valleys, But this is a question that you have to answer for your own self. This is something that you're going to have to investigate. And there are questions that you have to ask yourself. Like, first question. How can gas and a vacuum coexist in an uncontained state? Hmm. I know there are a lot of HVAC technicians out there that could relate to this one. When you pull a vacuum on a refrigerant line, it's enclosed. So you pull in a vacuum. And then after you pull the vacuum, you pair it up with a tank of R410A. And you, you hook it up via a set of gauges, of refrigerant gauges, right? And you open up the line to introduce Freon. What happens? The vacuum sucks the refrigerant in until the line equalizes in pressure. And then you turn the unit on to raise the pressures and get the correct amount of Freon in the system for optimal operation. So then I ask again, how can a vacuum space exist around a globe full of gases and not suck the gas right out of the atmosphere? According to what we're told, space is infinite and our gas is limited. Another question. How is it that in 1969, we went to the moon, and I laugh because I don't believe it, but we went to the moon with less technology than we have now. And now that our our technology is so advanced, we can't go back. Maybe because we never went there in the first place. 
there's a lot of questions to be asked, and there's a lot of research to dig up. And this subject cannot be covered in just one episode, as time and drive space are limited. There are countless hours of information on the internet and in written form. But this is a topic that we will be revisiting from time to time. And it's actually a topic that we are going to continue talking about on next week's podcast. Because we can go we can go for hours and hours talking about this and referring back to the Bible and other extra non-canonical books. But the one thing that is for certain is that they are definitely hiding the truth from us so that we could look away and forget about the one true God. They rather that we believe in the Big Bang Theory, which promotes heliocentricity and desensitizes the truth that we are created in the very image and likeness of Elohim, while dumbing us down with chemicals, GMO, and secular pagan ritualistic entertainment and drugs. In this way, what it says in Revelation 22:15, outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood will apply to us if we don't wake up from the slumber. My family, my friends, my brothers, my sisters, it has been an immense honor and privilege to spend this time with you here on It's the Flat Out Truth Podcast. The links for all the information can be found on the podcast transcript at itstheflatouttruth.wordpress.com. Please like and subscribe if you haven't already. And leave us a comment at itstheflatouttruth at gmail.com. Once again, we would like to thank everyone who is supporting us so that we can keep this podcast going for Hashem's glory. For we cannot do it alone. So may Hashem richly bless you for all that you do. And may the peace of our Lord that surpasses all understanding be with you all as we start a new week by his grace and his mercy. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift up his face to you and give shalom in the name of of the Sar Shalom, B'Shem Yeshua HaMashiach. Amen. Shavua Tov, blessings to all. Stay safe, stay prayed up, and research, 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 and question everything. Shalom.